Man, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. I'm David. I'm the pastor. If you're a guest, we're glad to have you here. I hadn't preached since uh, July sometime, and appreciate Joe uh, taking care of the month of August. He did a great job. Appreciate the gals uh, kind of leading worship today. Brian's on vacation, and we are a church that is blessed with the people with a lot of talent and a lot of gifts from God, and they use them, and we appreciate them doing that very, very much. We appreciate you being here and worshiping with us today. Uh, in 1825, in Vienna, Austria, there was a man born named Alfred Edersheim. He was born into a Jewish family. He was raised in the Jewish law, the Jewish tradition. He grew up to be a kind of an expert in Jewish law and Jewish ways. As a young man, he converted to Christianity. And in converting to Christianity, he became a Christian scholar, and he is one of the most influential men of the 19th century. Uh, for short, he wrote a series of books, numerous books, and shortly before he died in 1889, he wrote one last book. And this book is probably the most important and influential book that he has written. In fact, of all the books that I possess in my library uh, outside of the Bible, uh, this is the most important book that I have. And the title of this book is The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. And what Edersheim did is he took the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, put them in the context of the world in which they lived, in which Jesus lived, in which the events were written. He put it in that context, that world, and in commenting on them, shed light, helping us to understand a little bit more of just the supremacy of Christ. And with that in mind, I am going to preach a series in September entitled The Life and Times of Jesus. And what I want to do is taking this series, The Life and Times of Jesus, looking at Mark chapter 1, the first 28 verses, is to talk uh, over these next five weeks and, and, and to help understand uh, the, how the gospel is set up and how Jesus came into a world in terms of the context of times in which he lived to help us understand and have a full appreciation as we relate it to our times. And the things that I want you to see uh, throughout this entire series is simply this, that society and culture, including Judaism, had never experienced anyone like Jesus. In other words, no one like Jesus had ever come to the world before. Who he was and what he did challenged their world. He challenged their whole worldview. And that's just as true today as it was then. So what, what he did back then, he does today as well. And so we need to understand who is Jesus and how does he impact my life. And that's what we're going to look at throughout this entire series that we have. And so we're going to come to the Gospel of Mark. Mark was written about 58, 60 A.D. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written about the same time. John was written somewhat later. Uh, then them, and they all tell the story of Jesus. And we're going to look at these first 28 verses, and today we're going to look at the first eight verses, and we're going to look at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here it is. Here's what it says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as it was written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, so make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So here's the thing 
that I kind of want you to see from the message today and get from it, that the world in in the times of Jesus needed Jesus. And the world still needs Jesus. And you and I need Jesus. Listen, in the time of Jesus that he came, the world needed him. But the world still needs him. They need him today. And every one of us in here need Jesus. Mark begins his gospel. And he begins what he writes of the story of the life of Jesus by saying the beginning of something. It's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. Now, to kind of understand Mark's gospel, let's look a little bit at at the time in which Mark wrote and the time in which Jesus lived. And by the way, you know, we live in a day and age where, you know, in 10 years, a lot of things can change. If I just think back 10 years ago to 2009 to today, a lot of stuff has changed in our culture. Back then, it, would, it was a slow process. It could take a couple hundred years for things to change. So everything at the time that Mark wrote this and the time that Jesus came and when he did his ministry was pretty much the same. And the world was basically in the Greco-Roman Empire, in the Roman Empire where they lived, in the Greco-Roman culture, the Grecian Roman culture, was thoroughly pagan. They worshipped multiple gods. They created these gods. They created these goddesses, the figment of their imagination. They, and oftentimes, and really almost every time, the gods and goddesses took on human characteristics, took on the worst of the human vices, the worst that man did, was exemplified in their lives of these gods and goddesses. And, and, and they worshipped him, and it was a thoroughly pagan culture. And in this sense of paganism, there was one group of people that were to be different, and they were called the Jews. Now, when you look at who the Jews were, you need to understand that they were designed by God to be his people, a covenant people in relationship with him. And being in a relationship with him, he was going to bless the world through them. Now, to understand something about them, you've got to go all the way back in the Old Testament times, all the way back to Abraham. And God took Abraham aside, and the world was pagan back then as well. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. Now, in blessing the whole world through Abraham, what he meant was, I'm going to send someone who's going to come somewhere down through your lineage, and he's going to save the world. That's Jesus. That's a long time off, man. But in the meantime, he would take some of the descendants of Abraham, he would form them into a special people that would be his people, and he would still work to bless the world through them, and he would be in relationship with them. Then when you come to the book of Exodus, Exodus there's this guy Moses, and he takes these people who are in Egypt, and he delivers them, God delivers them through Moses out of slavery. And they are God's special people. And he says, look, I'm your God, you're my people, and here's the deal. You're going to worship no other gods. I'm the only one you're going to worship. And I'm going to show you how to worship me. And then this is what he did. He gave them ten rules. We call them the Ten Commandments. And through these Ten Commandments, this is how you serve me. Now, here's the thing. Those Ten Commandments weren't given so that they kept them. They would be in relationship with God. No, those Ten Commandments were given them because they were already in relationship with God. God says, because you're in a relationship with me, this is how you will express that relationship. And that's, and that's it. And that's why it was there. And you go through the Old Testament, you know, there'll be some priests and prophets. And, and, and you come to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this constant pointing of a Messiah that's going to come. He keeps telling them, don't forget, I'm going to send somebody down the line. He's going to save the world from their sins. Not only you, he's going to save the Gentiles as well. He's going to save whoever comes. He's going to save them all, whoever comes to him. And Malachi ends, it's the, it's the very end of the Old Testament, and Malachi says this. There's going to come a guy, before the Messiah, before the Savior, there's going to come a guy, he's going to be like Elijah, and he's going to prepare the way. Now, Elijah was the prototypical prophet. He was the prophet of all prophets. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, when the people of Israel were worshiping the false god, the Baals, and the Asherahs, 
Elijah called the people back to God. That's what prophets basically did. They called the people, come back to God, come back to God. There's going to be a guy like Elijah to bring the people back to God. And when that happens, the Messiah is going to come. Now, that's the end of the Old Testament. And then you come to the New Testament. It's been 430 years. And when you get there, everything's different. I mean, the Jewish people are completely different. They've got stuff you don't see in the Old Testament. Now, they, they have these places of worship called synagogues. You don't see synagogues in the Old Testament. This developed in that gap of time. And the synagogues kind of like church. You know, In fact, our churches are kind of modeled realistically after the synagogues. And then they have these religious leaders everywhere, guys called Pharisees. And they have scribes. And they have rabbis. And they have Sadducees. Those guys aren't in the Old Testament. Those guys come about in between the two times. And, and they, what they did is they took the Jewish relationship with God. They took the covenant with God. And these religious leaders, over time, converted it from a relationship into a system of beliefs, into a religious system. And they took Ten Commandments, and they came up with 613 laws and rules and regulations. Went from 10 to 613. Listen, you know how hard it is to keep 10? I mean, before this day is out, most of you will break four or five of them, you know? I mean, you, some of you probably got two in before you ever came to church. And then, and, and then 613, and this is what happened. In all of this system, what these Jewish religious leaders did to create this system is they said this. There's going to come a Messiah, just like it's talked about, but here's what that Messiah is going to do. That Messiah is going to establish this great kingdom of the Jews. And when this great kingdom defeats all the Romans and defeats all the other empires, and then we who are righteous, we who are the keepers of this law, this oral law, the, of all this tradition that they started, we're going to reign with the Messiah over everyone. That's what they developed. They developed a tradition, a set of rules and regulations that had really nothing to do with the Old Testament. It had nothing to do with the covenant with God. And in that process, they grew with this hatred of the Gentiles and this despising of anyone who wasn't Jewish. And that's the world in the time of Jesus. And it's nothing like what God wanted of Jewish people. And here's what Mark says. The beginning of something. The beginning marks a, a new chapter. Something new. Something is breaking in. In other words, Mark's not going to go and dredge up something old. Mark's not talking about fixing something else. In fact, all four of the Gospels, when they present the beginning of their story, it's, it, there's something remarkable about it. In fact, Matthew's the first book listed. You, know, you, you finish the Old Testament, you turn the page, there's a blank page. Then there's a page that says the New Testament. Then there's a page that says Matthew. And Matthew begins this way. The genealogy, the lineage, the legal heritage of Jesus the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. He's writing to the predominantly Jewish people and he's saying, here it is. I'm telling you about Jesus. He is the son of David. He is the Messiah. He is the son of Abraham. He is the one to come. He is it. And he tells them. Luke says this. And Luke wrote to mostly Gentiles. He said, Theophilus, he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. He says, hey, there's a bunch of stuff about Jesus. There's all sorts of accounts of him. There, were, there was more than four Gospels. There were all sorts of things written about Jesus. He said, I've looked at all of them. Now, I'm going to give you the truth. Here it is. And he begins to talk about it. John says, in the beginning was the Word. In other words, that's Jesus. But before everything existed, there was the Word. He was with God. He was God. And he created everything there is. He's going back before time started, man. 
And then he says the word became flesh. They all say something remarkable about the culture they're in. And Mark says this. This is the beginning of something. What's it the beginning of? The gospel. In the Old Testament, there is no word called gospel. It's not there. The word gospel means good news. It's the Greek word euangelion. And we get our term evangelize, evangelical evangelism from it. In the Greco-Roman world, when they went off to fight a battle, and they won. And they wanted to send word back home that they had won the war. They would send the messenger. And the messenger would go back, and he would say, I have euangelion. I have good news. We won. Jesus took the term gospel and used it to himself. We're going to see this in two weeks as we go through Mark chapter 1, verse 28, uh, verses 1 through 28. We're going to see Jesus say this, believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. And he's going to make, Jesus now is going to make that gospel, that good news about him. And Mark says, I got the beginning of that story about Jesus, that gospel of who? Of Jesus Christ. And the word Christ, the Greek word Christos, is the Messiah. He's Jesus the Messiah. And oh, by the way, he is the Son of God. And so he's this human, the Messiah, and he's God in the flesh. And I'm telling you his story. And it's different than anything you got up to this point. It's a different story. You see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Jews went from having a covenant relationship with God to forming a religious system for themselves, just for them. And, and here's what Mark does. Mark writes about a person who's going to set things right, and he's going to break that system down. He's not coming to fix the system. He's not coming to change the system. He's coming to destroy the system in its entirety. And so he begins in verse 2 about the voice of one crying in the wilderness. There's the voice, and he talks about it was written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, we're going to talk for a few moments then about this guy. Mark begins his story about Jesus dealing with a guy named John. We call him John the Baptist. Now, we're Baptists. If you don't know, this is technically, you know, this is a Southern Baptist church. It's not just any old Baptist, we're Southern Baptists. And that's why I speak with the Southern Texas accent, because we're Southern. If we were Northern accent, I'd say, hey, you guys, we're Baptists. But I don't do that. <laughs> I don't know if that was good or not. I just, I just, that was so impromptu and spur of the moment. None of the other services got that. You got something special with that one. Where was I? Oh, we're Baptists. Now, we didn't get that from John the Baptist, okay? I mean, so don't think that. Now, to be fair, remember this. He isn't John the Methodist, though, okay? He's not John the Episcopalian, because he would never claim that. He, but, but he is John the Baptist, but that doesn't have anything to do with us. But they all talk about John, because John is this important character. Why? Because John is the one coming to prepare the way. Elijah, I mean, uh, uh, Malachi talks about someone coming. Malachi ends saying there's a guy like Elijah coming. And in, John, in, in gospel, uh, Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke, we're told, hey, John the Baptist, he's like Elijah. He's going to come and set people right towards God. And so he quotes from Isaiah here in Mark. And actually, in, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, he quotes from Isaiah 40, Exodus 23, and Malachi 3. But because Isaiah is the prominent place he quotes from, he just says from Isaiah. And he says, I will send you, speaking on behalf of God, God says, I will send you a messenger. I'm sending someone to talk to you. 
And that person is going to get everything straight and set up. It's a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. So this guy's going to come. And Mark says, he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. This is John. John the Baptist. And we think of John. Verse 6 describes him. Man, he's out in the wilderness. He's wearing a coat made of camel's hair. I cannot imagine right now being out in the wilderness about four or five miles out that way, wearing a coat full of camel's hair. Got a leather belt. He eats locusts and wild honey. That's John. You know, whenever we teach children about John the Baptist, that's all they ever learn about him. You know that? You ask a child, can you tell me about John the Baptist? Yeah. He had a coat made of camel's hair and a leather belt. Can you tell me anything else? Yeah. He ate locusts and wild honey. Anything else? He wore a camel's hair coat, I know that, and a belt. We, we, we need to start teaching them, you know, more stuff about John. That's a good start. And so there's John. And John's out there, and it says he's preaching. The word preach is a word, in, in the Greek, it's a technical term for preaching with a message. It's not just preaching in general. It's a specific message attached. And here is his message. He's talking to all these people, and he's saying, you've got to repent, that's a good word. You know, we don't use that word as much as we should. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good word. In fact, we're going to see in two weeks, Jesus says the same thing. His message begins, repent. Repent. And believe the gospel, by the way. Believe about me. Now, the word repentance means to have a change, a change of where you're going. It speaks of a person going this way. To repent is to stop, turn around, and go that way. Now, in, in, in biblical usage, in, in usage connected with Christ, it speaks of a person abandoning the way of God, walking towards their direction, living for self, going wherever they want to go, to repent is to stop and turn and to go back to God, but you have to go to God through Jesus. That's repentance. So John's just preaching, repent, and you repent from the sins. That's what we repent from, the sin of our own life. Now, here's the thing. In the Jewish religious system they had created, there was no real idea or concept of the Jewish people committing sins against God. They either kept the law or they didn't keep the law. But they were God's people, and they were self-righteous. And the concept of repenting from sin, I mean, in the Old Testament, there's talks about there's, there's sacrifices, there's sin offerings, and they still had the sin offerings. But it was, it was more, about, you know, in case you didn't do something you should have done kind of thing, done in ignorance. This idea of just personally sinning really wasn't there. And so John just came and bypasses that whole system and says, look, you're out of relationship with God. You're committing sins. And, and, and you say, well, what is a sin? Well, it could mean anything. I mean, all the things they did in, in violation of the relationship. But here's the thing. They were following a system they created. And the system they created was taking them away from God. That covenant relationship. It was moving them away. And John says, you've got to repent and you've got to spin around and go the other way. And it says the people came by thousands. It says, here's what it says. It says all of Judea, the country of side of Judea came out. And that's a little bit of hyperbole, I know. But I mean, just, and then it says all of Jerusalem. You realize John never went to anybody to preach. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't go say, hey, let me step up here on the steps of the, of the, tabard, of the temple and preach. He didn't do that. He didn't even go to little cities. In the northern kingdom. He just, he was in the wilderness. I don't know who he preached to in the wilderness. A couple of rabbits, coyote or two. I don't know, man. There wasn't much out there. There must have been a couple of stragglers. Maybe just a couple of guys hanging out in the wilderness. You know, sometimes people go out there and hang in the wilderness. Maybe he found a couple and he started preaching. They'd go back and tell other folks. But people started coming in this really short period of time. 
And they just came and came. And Matthew tells us that so many people were coming that the religious leaders got wind of it. And they went. And then so the Pharisees and Sadducees started coming. And John said, no, 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 no. You get away. He called them a bunch of vipers, snakes. He said, you snakes, get out of here. You have nothing to do with this. This is beyond your system. It's amazing. And this is what he began to do. He began to baptize them. You know, in the Old Testament, there ain't no baptism. There's no baptism there. There was ceremonial washing, and they washed. The closest thing you see in the Old Testament is Naaman the leper, and 2 Kings came to Elisha, and Elisha said, go dip in the Jordan River seven times. They didn't do that. By the time you come to the New Testament, the only people who were baptized were Gentiles who wanted to convert to Judaism, and they would let them do it, but they had to baptize themselves. The word baptize means this. It means to plunge under. It's a word that means to go under. It's a very violent term, actually. It's to, with force. Some people, you know, some of you probably came from some backgrounds. I know you did, where when you were a baby or very little, they would sprinkle you and call that baptism. And, and I understand that. But no matter how many times I try to tell you that's what baptism means, baptism doesn't ever mean sprinkling. It means to plunge under and then theoretically to pull back out. <laughs> Otherwise, it just is drowning and it doesn't work well. There are times when there are some people you want to do that to, but that's not really biblical baptism. And so John would baptize, and, 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 and it was amazing. He just bypassed the whole religious system. He was doing stuff that was unheard of. And the people thought, this guy, he must be the Messiah. And he was saying, no, 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 I'm not the Messiah. In fact, here's what he began to preach, verse 7 and 8 tells us. He said, there's one who's going to come that's mightier than me, stronger than I am, greater than I am. In fact, he says, I'm not even fit to untie the thong of his sandal. Now, back then, they didn't have shoes like we have. They just, they just had sandals. And they didn't have lots of sandals. Like, you know, some of y'all have lots. Like, some of you women have, like, 100 pairs of sandals. Like, my wife does that. I mean, she's, like, 100 pairs of sandals. Maybe she may have, I don't know, maybe she may have 200 everywhere. And, they all, and all are really nice and, all, and designed. They didn't have that stuff. And when you walked, your feet would get all dirty. And so when you come to a house... They'd have to wash your feet. And that was the lowest job. I mean, thank goodness, men, you would never, as if you were the head of your house, you know what you never had to do was wash anybody's feet? Praise God for that. In my house right now, it's just me and wife. If you came, my wife, that would be her job. Not in today's culture, you know. And back then, this is a whole different world we're talking about. And if you had children, it was their job. If you had servants, it was, it was the lowest person in, in, the, in the household's job. John said this, I'm so low that I can't, I, don't, I can't even untie the thong of his sandal. That's how low I am. The guy who washes the feet of Jesus, he's higher up than I am. And then he said this, and this is remarkable. He said, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you. He's going to plunge you with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. And people, people go all crazy trying to figure this out. This isn't complicated. John was a simple man. He preached a simple message tell me, tell me, telling you this. There were a lot of simple folks there. Here's what he's saying. I have a literal physical baptism that's symbolic of, of, of a change of life. His baptism is a spiritual baptism. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 1, right before he sins, Jesus says, The power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
And then in Acts chapter 2, it says the Holy Spirit came and he poured himself out on those people. He just immersed himself, baptized all those, immersed himself on those people. You see, here's what he's saying. When Jesus comes, and he's just going to come shortly after John, it's going to be like nothing you've ever seen. Mark's telling us they have this system in place. Everybody knows about the system. This guy's going to come and bypass that system. And he's going to baptize you, and he is going to connect you and get you back with God. Not through water baptism, but through a baptism with the Holy Spirit of God, connected in faith through him. And that's why right after this, when you start reading about Jesus, Jesus says this, repent and believe the gospel. And then he says, follow me. And nowhere in there does Jesus ever talk about a religious system. The only thing you believe in is Jesus, not a bunch of rules. Not a bunch of doctrines. The only thing you do is repent to believe. Not anything else. See, here's the thing. The people and the religious leaders wanted and expected a Messiah. They weren't expecting Jesus. You got that right. They wanted and expected a Messiah. They weren't expecting Jesus. They wanted a guy to come. And this guy was going to come and he was going to establish this great Jewish kingdom. And they would all rule with him over the whole world. And they're saying, that's not it. You know what's amazing? There are people today within Christianity who still think that when Jesus comes, he's going to establish this worldly, earthly kingdom, and all the Christians are going to rule with him, even though Jesus never says that. If you don't believe me, go look at all the stuff in red. It ain't there. I mean, Jesus tells us that the kingdom is of heaven. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, when he talks about the kingdom, he says the kingdom of heaven. It is the reign and rule of God over the lives of men. That's the kingdom. And they never got that. They created a religion. And they forgot about the relationship. Jesus didn't come to fix or start a new religion. He didn't do that. He came to give us a new and true relationship with God. He didn't come to fix an old religion. He didn't come to start a new one. He came to give us a relationship with God. One of the problems we face today is that too often Christianity has simply become, in the eyes of the world, a religion. Now, I know, I understand, I'm not dumb. I understand that categorically, Christianity is a religion in the broad categorical sense. Buddhism, Islam, you know, uh, Judaism, uh, Hinduism, Christianity, the five great religions. Because categorically, a religion is, an under, is a way to understand God or gods, to relate to them, to worship them, to serve them. I get that. I'm talking pragmatic. I'm talking practical. I'm talking in terms of people's lives. Christianity isn't a religion. Christianity is about a person. In fact, the, the people in Jesus' day didn't call themselves Christians. They called themselves followers of the way or disciples of Jesus. I mean, they were about a person. What did Jesus say in a few verses from this? He says, follow me, follow me, follow me. That's what he says. And here's the danger. Here's the danger in the church today. And this is what's happened in so many places. We have, and with good intentions, but it doesn't matter, we have created and designed, here's a set of beliefs we call doctrines. Here's a set of things you can do, and oh, by some things you cannot do. And if you believe, do, and don't do, then you're right with God. You're one of us. The problem is Jesus never does that. Jesus doesn't say there's certain things you got to believe. He just says believe in me, the gospel. He doesn't say there's certain things you got to do. He just says repent of your sins. He says you come to me, and when you come to Jesus, he changes. Now, I understand there's some things that we believe. I believe them. And I understand there's some things that we do. I do them. 
But this is it. This occurs after I come to Christ. After I come to Christ, then there's some stuff. But before that, I just need Jesus. I'm going to tell you this. I don't have to believe in creation to come to Christ. I don't have to believe in the Bible to come to Jesus. If you're lost, you don't have to believe that. Your problem isn't what you believe. Your problem is you don't know and trust Jesus. And if we keep trying to make people believe certain things and do certain things, they're not going to come to Jesus because they don't want a religion. They need a person to save them. 85% of the churches in America are either flatlined or dying, including Baptist churches. They're bad people? No. In Baptist life, does they have bad teachings? No. The problem is simply this. They keep trying to get people to believe in a religion, to follow a system, and not a savior. Some of you are not followers of Christ, and I know that. Some of you probably come from a background where you were part of a system. Maybe you were sprinkled and baptized when you were little and taught to believe certain things. And if you do these things, everything's all right with God. But in your heart, you know you're not all right with God. In here, you know you did all that, you believed all that, and you're not right with God. I'm telling you what has to change in your life is not what you do or what you believe. What has to change in your life is you've got to turn away from yourself and your system and trust Jesus. And take your life and say, here it is. Some of you have grown up and you had no religious background at all. In fact, you, you, had, you had no knowledge of God or Christ. Maybe you didn't even believe in him. Maybe you know right now. The thing you need to do is not become Baptist or Christian. The thing in your life that you need is to turn away from trusting yourself and begin to trust Christ with your life and say, here's my life, I trust you. Listen to me, there is no one in no system or religion that compares to Jesus. There's none. He is good news. He is the gospel. Listen, you can't put your faith in a system. You can't put your faith in a set of doctrinal teachings. Jesus never said that. He said, put your faith in me. Trust me. The world we live in today isn't much different than the world of Christ. Really not. There are still people who just make up their own religious beliefs. There are people who worship lots of gods. There are people today, though, who say there's no God at all. It's the same thing. You just made that up. <laughs> whether you say there's three or four gods or whether you say there's no God, you made all that up. It's not true. And you know there's an emptiness, a lostness. People today are still far away from God. People today are still lonely and hurting. People today are still trapped in their rebellion. None of that has changed. And the way out of that hasn't changed either. Because it's not based on a system of belief or a system of actions. It's based on a person who came into this world to save you from your sin. The world in the time of Jesus needed Jesus. And the world still needs Jesus. And you and I need Jesus. So the question I've asked you is this. Have you ever trusted Jesus? And I want to give you the opportunity. And in just a moment, we have what we call invitation. I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ. I don't care what your background is. I don't care where you come from. It doesn't matter what you've done. None of that matters. All that can change if you will repent, if you will turn away from following your own way 
and you will give your life and trust Jesus to save you. Are there things you need to, put to believe? Are there things you need to do? Not before that. Afterwards, we'll work through all that. But the first thing you've got to do, the only thing that matters in life, is whether or not you trust Christ to be your Savior. Would you give your life to him today? Listen, some of you, as followers of Christ, there are people you love and you care about and you struggle. And the problem is you keep trying to get them to become something. You keep trying to get them to change the way they live. You keep trying to get them to believe certain things, and it's not working. And it's not working because you're trying to get them to a religion. I say this all the time. Get people to Jesus as fast as you can, and Jesus will change their life. Quit trying to change them and get them to Jesus. Let him do that. It's what he's good at. Some of you today need to make this commitment. Lord, that person that I love and care about, I'm going to get them to you as fast as I can. I don't know what it is exactly you need to do in your life. And I don't know what it is as God is calling you to do. But here's what I know. That the world that Jesus lived in wasn't any different than our world. And you and I still need one thing. We need the gospel of Jesus, who is the Son of God. We need to repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in him. Would you do that today? Father, just thank you that in the midst of all our sin and all our failure and all of our going about things our own way, you never gave up on us. You never quit on us. You love us. And you love us enough to send Jesus to save us. And Father, I know that as your follower, there are things that I believe that are important, things that I do that are important. I know that. But the most important thing that I could ever do is just give my life to Christ and trust him to be my Savior. And that's really all that matters. That's all any of us have to do is trust Jesus to save us. So I pray now in the name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will move us to faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll give our life to him. In whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Would you come? We'll be here. We'll greet you.